The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Stupid internet stuff. Huh, click here for free. Oh, I got a virus. Smart internet stuff. In the less than 12 hours that that's happened worldwide, thousands of hedgehogs have died. Seriously, they've been eaten by wolves or whatever. He calls me and he goes like this. I'm rushing to the doctor right now for the hedgehog. And I go, what's that going to cost? He goes, I don't know, but I'm thinking about it. You know, what it may cost. Can I just throw it out the window? (laughs) The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. Weekdays, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. How have you been? How was your week? This is your faithful American patriot, Muslim reformer, the place where the actual real conversations on radical Islam begin and where you can begin to get some real analysis of how we solve the problems, the greatest threat of the 21st century, which is radical Islam, Islamism, jihadism, Salafi jihadism, and all of the ideologies that confront us. This is where you begin to start to piece together the strategy that, unfortunately, mainstream media and even most media are just not paying attention to because we're obsessed with the partisan divide, with the Washington politics, and obsession on President Trump and other same old, same old issues. A lot's happened. Uh, A couple things I want to talk to you about this week that I think are important that you just haven't heard that much about. One is uh, last week I wanted to talk to you about the Department of Justice's uh, analysis of the number of terror threats from foreign-born citizens, foreign-born immigrants. Is that real? What do we do with that data? We'll also talk today about a Canadian move by one of their legislatures to legislators to stop foreign money from terror factories. Wow, imagine that concept. Why haven't we talked about it in the U.S.? And then here locally in Phoenix, a ISIS supporter convicted, convicted and sentenced. You will be surprised at the sentence he got. And Syrian opposition was in Washington. Not ISIS, not Jabhat al-Nusra, but why didn't they get a reception at the White House? We'll talk about that. Now, let's talk about immigration a bit. We, You know, I think the data is ignored, and there's a reality to it. I've talked to you before about some of the data out there about the sympathies of the hundreds of thousands that had to flee Syria, the vast, vast majority of whom are innocent Syrian civilians that had nowhere to go, truly displaced, many of which internally displaced, but out of 21 million population in Syria, over half of them were displaced from their homes. And the vast majority of those were not internally, but externally displaced into Lebanon, Jordan, and surrounding areas, Turkey. And over a million, if not more, millions went into Europe and the United States were debating whether to take 20, 50, 70, or 100,000. No matter what number we can agree on that we take, the vetting has been hor- horrible. And I say horrible, not that we haven't done certain 
background checks and look for terror groups, etc. But as as you and I have talked about before, in violence and tactic, but not on ideology, not on tact, not on the inspiration of what drives their identity. And you would, many would say, well, you can't vet for that. So wait a minute, you're telling me in the Cold War we couldn't vet for communist sympathies? It was part of the immigration process. So the ist of the communist is a political ideology. The ist of the Islamist is not just Islam. It's a subset of Muslims, a large percentage, perhaps 30 percent, 40 that believe in the Islamic State, that believe in a form of the Islamic State, that believe in the Sharia State. This is not a benevolent, personal, pietistic Sharia, but a theocracy, but a theocracy nonetheless. Those here, they don't deserve the privilege of claiming even that they believe in the contract of the United States of America, which is our constitutional republic. And that needs to be vetted. There are ways to do that. We've talked about that before. But the DOJ at the beginning of the year, came out with a report that revealed that three out of every four, or 402 out of the 570 or 580 individuals convicted of international terrorism-related charges in the U.S. between September 11-01 and December 31st, 2016, were foreign-born. And over the same period, ICE removed approximately 1,700 aliens with national security concerns. And the data goes on. Secretary Nielsen, Homeland Security Secretary, said, this report is a clear reminder of why we cannot continue to rely on immigration policy based on pre-9-11 thinking that leaves us woefully vulnerable to foreign-born terrorists and why we must examine our visa laws and continue to intensify screening and vetting of individuals traveling to the United States to prevent terrorists. Somebody released an excerpt of a conversation between Secretary Rumsfeld right after 9-11 and other cabinet members and his staff in which he said, gosh, you know, we need to learn more about Islam because these folks have hijacked Islam and we don't have anybody that studied this. Now, it's beyond hijacking. We're now talking about reform. We're now talking about movements that want to create Islamic states. But those quotes like that are invaluable. Realizes that some people inside, despite our complete lack of movement forward and exposing and engaging the public in a conversation about the ideological conflicts with Americanism, that is the root cause of radicalization of those against us. But there's no doubt that there are ideologies that we should at least stem off the tide. And listen, again, I say this as the son of Syrian immigrants. I say this as somebody who has directly benefited and been blessed by parents that escaped Syria, that escaped the open-air prison of Assad's Baathism. The Ba'athist Party took over in 63. My family left in 66. I was born a year after here in the United States. Esed took over in 70, but his Ba'ath Party had been in power for seven years already. And that was Hafez Assad, the father of the current tyrant Bashar. 
And Nielsen then goes on to talk about the fact that Homeland Security has personnel deployed around the world and along our borders working with our global and domestic law enforcement partners to stop terrorists before they enter the homeland. And she notes that of the 549 individuals that are convicted of international terrorism-related charges in the U.S., federal courts between 9-11-01 and 931, 254 were not U.S. citizens, 148 were born abroad, naturalized and received U.S. citizenship, and 147 were U.S. citizens by birth. So we've talked about before that it's about the ideology that that many of these folks are born in the United States. But here's some data that's hard to ignore now. If you read the New York Times, they came out then, surprise, surprise, quoting Congressman Gerald Nadler and quoting Cato Institute and others who think that this data somehow has an agenda. The data is the data. We want to talk specific cases? Fine. The New York Times did not quote specific cases. It just said, oh, these include foreign acts of terror. They didn't cite one case. They said this includes, according to the Cato scholar, pornography charges, criminal charges, petty theft charges, and not terrorism. And I think if you look at the data, it is about folks who are ultimately found to be ideologically part of the Islamist global jihadi network. They may have been arrested and indicted on things in addition to simply terror because they didn't commit acts of terror. Many of them were plotting to do so or had committed other crimes that allowed us to remove them from the threat. No different than Al Capone was removed from the threat by being arrested for tax evasion. So, anyways, there's no cases listed in the New York Times criticism. And let's even, the numbers here, I think ultimately you can negotiate up or down 5, 10, even 15% if you want. We're still talking about half of these that are foreign-born, foreign imports. I think anything over 10% shows you you have an immigration problem. We certainly have a radicalization problem. We certainly know that many of these folks have been here for 10, 15 years before they commit the act of terror. So therefore, coming to the United States, living in the United States is not an inoculation for or a mechanism for counter-radicalization. But the data is real. So therefore, one, one, one avenue that we can use to make our country safer is to vet those coming in. There's no lottery system that makes sense. It should not be a lottery randomly who comes in here. It should be based on merit, merit based on ideology. Second, it should not be based on chain migration. Nuclear families, yes. Father, son, siblings stay together. Underage siblings. But adult siblings and uncles, cousins? No. 
that needs to have a normal process unrelated to then assuming that somebody's niece or somebody's great aunt or somebody's cousin somehow is also vetted by virtue of being related to an American citizen. Nonsense. As you all know, inside your families are huge disagreements on ideology. And that's even having been born here, let alone having years apart, living in countries far apart. So that needs to end. When we come back, we'll finish the conversation on the reality of this data. Look at what Canada's doing about funding. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. It is great to be back with you this week. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. All you reformers, you supporters of reformers, those who believe that it's about dang time that the Muslim community start owning their problem, the Muslim community start bringing their faith into the 21st century, that we start marginalizing the imams, the clerics, the theocrats. You've come to the right place. You've come to the place of honesty, of openness, a belief that this is where the work starts. We roll up our sleeves and we leave a legacy, a legacy of Americanism that rejects Islamic theocracy. And those who are coming here to the United States better darn well share our values. Those who are coming here to the United States, like my family, like other families that I know, every Syrian family I know that I consider friends are here because they love this country and they believe that this country allows them the freedom, the liberty to practice their faith like they could not anywhere in the world especially in Syria, especially in Muslim-majority countries. So that battle, that internal battle, where a Muslim continues to practice their faith, surrounded by non-Muslims in a country based in Judeo-Christian values, we need to come to terms with, well, why is it that we have to live in a country based in Judeo-Christian values escape countries dominated by Muslims because those countries are run by warlords, by clerics, by kings who are tyrants, by dictators, military thugs, national socialist fascists, Arabists, racists, but certainly not Jeffersonian Democrats. Why is that? We have to come to the reality that for many, many reasons on top of one another, we're stuck Our identity as Arabs, our identity as Muslims, is still stuck in the 13th century, is still stuck in the era of Islamic theocracy that we Muslims have not gone through that evolution of enlightenment that the West went through. 
And I think we need to realize that political correctness or that belief of what it means to be American, that any human being wants to be free, that there is no racial identity, there is no specific faith identity tied to being free under God, that that is a gift, the American dream is a gift that every human being can aspire to, that is an extremely powerful argument that I will never give up. But we also need to understand that in the current ideology that's dominated Muslim-majority countries around the planet, that the plurality, that, that many of those are either illiterate, look at the numbers, or they're part of the establishment mobocracy, autocracy, and theocracy that are dominating in those countries. And if they escape because of inhuman situations, uh, lack of human rights, lack of functioning government and anarchy, that that does not make them partners for a future America. That partners for a future America should first and foremost be established by those of us who believe in the American principles, the Americanism of our constitutional republic, our Bill of Rights, and the belief that we are under God and equal, and not a Sharia state, not a canonic law state, but a state with a separation of powers that is based in reason and post-enlightenment. That's the battle. So this data that I was talking to you about from the Department of Justice is data that is important to look at. Don't get lost in the, is it 75% or 60%? Heck, if it's 40, 50% of those are foreign-born, you realize we have an immigration problem. So let's start, especially for Muslim community members out there, if you want to help change the perception of what Muslims are to America. Yes, we are part of the fabric. Yes, we are no more, nor, nor no less than any other American. But we have to be contrite in the responsibility that our theology has catered to the production of governments like Saudi Arabia, the Iranian Khomeinis, the Taliban, the Brotherhood, and ISIS and Hamas. That is a problem that only we can address. And you can start by letting Americans know that we don't want fellow Muslims coming over here that are Islamists. We don't want fellow Muslims, fellow Arabs, fellow Persians or, or Afghanis coming here that are Islamist or Taliban or believers in theocracy. We want them coming here because they embrace pure, unadulterated freedom. Full stop. That's the importance of this data. Now, in Canada this week, there's a proposed bill that would ban donations from countries that export extremism. And the National Post had an editorial by uh, Cheryl Sapiria, and she noted that it's a fast way to keep extremist influence out of schools. And she said, why not ban, and at the top of the list would be Saudi Arabia and Iran, ban foreign funding 
and influence in charities and schools from anybody inside those countries. Now, I'm not just saying this. This is not a new thought. We, we thought of that here. In the United States, I was told by many senators and members of Congress when I tried to present this as legislation that should have been done in the United States, they said, well, it's impossible. It is impossible. You can't do it here. Nope, not in the United States because we get money from Europe. You've got the George Soroses of the world who bring in cash from foreign countries, etc., and the hundreds of millions, etc. Uh, look at all the business done abroad. You have Uber now that just put billions into Saudi Arabia. You have unbelievable transferring of wealth. And to stop that from certain countries would be impossible, I was told. Well, now Bill C-371, the Prevention of Radicalization Through the Foreign Funding Act, is in Canada. And the Trudeau government says counter-radicalization is a foundational component of Canada's national security policy. It established the new Canada Center for Community Engagement and the Prevention of Violence. So why not follow the example of conservative MP, Parliament member Tony Clement? He established C-70, C-371 for a second reading vote this month, next month in February. And he noted that members should be allowed to vote on the bill to be referred to committee where it would receive careful study. And it would enable Canada to establish a list of foreign states that meet specific criteria such as promoting egregious forms of religious intolerance or engaging in activities that support radicalization. And once that list is in place, Canadian religious, cultural, educational institutions will be prohibited from accepting donations from those foreign governments. And in summary, so long as the patrons of extremist ideologies have unfettered ability to invest billions of dollars in institutions in Canada, the threat of extremism and radicalization will only grow. Hello. Exactly. Why did it take us so long? This is the key. The Wahhabi influence. It's insidious infiltration. The Dianet Center of the Turkish government, the largest mosque in the United States, has just recently built in Baltimore, Maryland. And now with Turkey committing overt acts against the United States in the past few months alone, you look them up. Look at what they've done between, between brawls on the streets of Washington by the protective force of Erdogan, the president of Turkey, between a number of other acts, and yet we still, we should be shutting down that mosque. It's not an American mosque. It's a foreign operation on American soil done in the name of Islam. When the Saudis were asked to help the refugees in Europe, they said, oh yeah, we'll help by helping build 200 mosques in Germany. And now they claim their reform efforts 
are all about modernization and stopping the Muslim Brotherhood. Well, that little internecine battle between the Salafi jihadis of the Wahhabis and the Islamists of the Muslim Brotherhood is an internecine battle that leaves all of us non-Islamists in their wake. We have to counter the funding. And if you stop that, that's almost more effective than the vetting of the human ideologies that we were talking about. So both human ideological stop obstacles, obstacles against the human ideological infiltration and obstacles against the money from the dictatorships, monarchs, tyrants that want the strings to that money to be the spread of evangelical Wahhabism and evangelical Islamism. That's what we need for national security. This is Judy Jasper. I'll reform this and we'll be right back. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This. We are talking solutions. We're talking the obvious, the obvious things that we could be doing that people are suggesting that MPs in Canada are putting out recommendations that we seem to be ignoring. Tony Clement puts forth C-371 simply saying that certain lists of countries should be made in which we prevent the funneling of mass sums of or any money from those countries into foundations, religious facilities, cultural institutions, and schools. Period. How hard is that? Why can't we pass that in the United States? That's really the question I'd like to know. Why can Qatar, the central cancer cell of global Islamism and the Muslim Brotherhood, which clearly is in bed with the Khomeinis, with billions from natural gas revenue and others, why are they spending money on Al Jazeera to pump into the living rooms of the United States? And we don't realize that it's enemy propaganda. Free press, sure. Free press for Americans, sure. No problem, absolutely. I don't want any impediment of our First Amendment. But the Qatari regime does not have First Amendment rights on our televisions. Or in our country. So if Americans want to get foreign media, fine. But if it's going to be based on a Washington, North Virginia, buying American property from foreign regimes and funding groups like the Islamic Society of North America, Council on American Islamic Relations, and use them through social cultural engineering of Islamist ideology, that's a threat to the United States. The threat to the United States is not only terror, it is the precursors, the pathway, the conveyor belt of radicalization. The Islamic State concept, the political party of Islam concept, Muslim Brotherhood, Taliban, Jamaat Islamiyya, Hizbullah, Hizbullah, the party of God. The concept that Muslims should unite under a banner of a party. That is a threat to the United States, and at least 
If Muslims in America want to do that, fine, let's argue. I'll debate them any day. Give them free speech. Don't take away any rights from any of our antagonists that are Americans that share the rights of every other American citizen. However, foreign governments? Foreign regimes? Look at how much attention is being paid to the influence of Russia. Russia every day. Russia, Russia, Russia. I try to tell you what Russia is doing in Syria. Nobody paid attention to the... Here's another... By the way, there was another chlorine gas attack a couple days ago. That is, oh, by the way, and God bless Nikki Haley for bringing attention to it, but just not enough being done. Why? Because we're afraid of... I think it's decreasing. I think the Trump administration has been speaking out against it. But bottom line is, is it's obvious that the influence of foreign regimes in the United States is something both sides of the aisle don't take lightly. And yet when it comes to Middle East oil, petro-Islam, the insidious infiltration of Wahhabism, Islamism is almost encouraged. So God bless Tony Clement up there in Canada. I hope his legislation goes through, support it, and hopefully bring something similar down here. Bring something similar down here so we can do the same thing. It's interesting that that piece by Cheryl Sapira, Director of Policy for Canada, the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, that's an American think tank. Why don't we say the same thing here? What's going on here? New York Times had a list of organizations like Brookings and others that were influenced, like the Atlantic Council, that had huge influence in the tens, if not hundreds of millions from foreign governments and petro-Islamic governments. Let's stop that. Please, please just stop it. can't tell you the impact that will have in jet-propelling Muslim reformers against Islamists so that we can no longer be snuffed out by the drowning cacophony of institutions, universities, media, just slammed by the PR machine of Islamist groups and the regimes that support them. Next, I think one of the issues I always like to bring to your attention is the fact that if we are going to not only deter radicalization, we need to have a conversation at every opportunity, at the not only in the few days after an attack, after arrests, during the trials, during the pleas, during the sentencing. And this week in Phoenix, crickets. Crickets, when Derek Thompson also goes by the name Abu Talib, Al-Amriki. He pled guilty to two felonies, assisting a criminal syndicate and solicitation to commit misconduct involving weapons. He had a history of violent crime. This was not his first arrest. And in 2016, December, just a year and change, he was indicted by a grand jury on charges related to supporting ISIS. After the jury heard testimony by investigations that he solicited, incited, or induced others to promote or help the terror group. He was arrested, but then later released on bond. Now, he had an armed 
robbery back in 2005. So this is not a first offender. Now, the second one, I think, is obviously an act of treason. He's a traitor. Did he commit an act of terror? No. But he was found to be encouraging, encouraging others online and elsewhere to commit martyrdom using the most powerful weapons. And he searched those words online and he tried to buy a gun to carry out a jihadi attack, authorities originally said. As a convicted felon, he was prohibited from purchasing the firearm. But then he pleads guilty and he's sentenced to, wait for it, wait for it, he is sentenced to one year in prison and four years of probation this week. Now, we can get into, and I I push back against some local media on their silence, and certainly uh, uh, the most defensive of them, Bram Resnick from Channel 12, responds and tells me, oh, if you have, to, if you have a beef, take it up with Bill Montgomery, the county attorney, take it up with... Mark Brenovich, the uh, attorney general, all of whom were involved in the case and in pleading it out, etc. And, you know, listen, it's easy for the reporters to dismiss this. My response to him was, he's a journalist. Where's the public conversation about this? Where's the conversation about how a man who is a Muslim was radicalized by Islamism, Salafi jihadism, and convicted for whatever reason, of only one year, but it's a moment of education of the population of radicalization process and so many points that a public conversation here locally in Phoenix that could analyze more deeply about how this ideology, does he have free speech rights? Tarek Mahena, for example, is doing 17 years in prison in Boston after a federal court trial that he had basically expressed support for Al-Qaeda. He still has his own website and other things from prison that his supporters are asking for his freedom because he believes he was put in jail for a thought crime. That debate was had publicly. The media covered it. And I still think most of the Islamist side was covered. But at least there was a debate. Here we're not even having a debate about it. We're not even having a debate. Media doesn't want to cover it. That makes the Islamists win. America doesn't get educated about the Islamist threat, doesn't take every case as the tip of the iceberg and ignores it. And eventually there'll be a sonic boom of cases and global threats. This is not just one man. He's not a lone wolf. This is a global ideology. Packs and packs and packs of... Millions of wolves that are Islamists, some of whom break loose to commit acts of terror. The others are part of a strategy of Islamism. Another missed opportunity. There'll be more. But on this program, at least, you and I talk together about reform. Where are the ideas? Where, do we, where are the touch points of where we address the most vulnerable parts of our enemy, which are the identification with Islam and its theology. 
and how we separate out the political aspects of the Islamic State and Sharia law from the spiritual, personal aspects of Islam and the areas in which it shares the values of Judaism and Christianity and other major traditions. This is Judy Jasser. We'll be back for the last segment on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The Glenn Beck Program. Somebody asked me the other day, what's the best thing you can teach your kids? How to listen to the spirit. Everything else they're going to be able to find on YouTube. They're going to be able to Google. They'll be able to access through the Internet. You don't need the knowledge. The idea of a Jeopardy champion. How useless is that compared to what it used to be? Man, I'd like to be around that guy because he's a walking encyclopedia. Well, I got one in my pocket. (laughs) You know what I mean? The Glenn Beck Program. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week. I reformed this. I want to step back and talk to you about Syria. The reason this is relevant is Syria is a chaotic quagmire and, and we can sit and argue about policy and what we should or should not be doing there. And and recently the, the Trump administration has made a shift and we can talk a little bit, a little bit about that. But I have to tell you that when it comes to supporting the right people in Syria, enough is enough. We have to support those who share our ideas. And the avenue to those who share our ideas are not American Islamists who don't share our ideas. Now, they may obviously as Americans believe in our legal system and support it and vote and appear to be patriotic Americans. But if they are not anti-Islamist, if they apologize for Islamism, like the many Islamists that predominate Muslim representation in Washington, then I would tell you that from simply an ROI, a return on investment, They are not going to be the American Islamists that are Syrians, like the Syrian American Council, that's dominated by Muslim Brotherhood, either sympathizers or active supporters and members probably, though they don't have operations openly in the United States. There are those who obviously believe in what the Muslim Brotherhood stands for. So... If we are going to look which Syrians, I think that the return on investment is just not high enough. And, you know, early on, I've made a little bit of a transition here because early on, obviously, if you look at Egypt, you look at Iraq and other countries that are no longer being, now Egypt has a a tyrannical dictator that's back in, but the process of revolutions, the two revolutions they had, were very educational about the fact that when there were revolutions in the streets of Cairo, the revolution just this past few weeks in Iran, and we'll get back to talking about that next week, I hope, but you can't forget about Iran. The revolution in the streets of Iran might include 
some Islamists who are just anti-Khomeinists. So, listen, you support the revolution, and then once the tyranny's gone, you then, in democratic process, should not support those who don't share your values. So, the communists and socialists might be anti-Khomeinists, but I still would not put American money, American support, American interest behind the Communist Party of Syria or Iran. That's pretty common sense. So, if you have an Islamist party that has shops in Washington and Chicago and elsewhere, I wouldn't put American money. And if they bring people in, like this week, they brought folks from the Free Syria Army. Again, there's a lot of heroes, brave, courageous people that have done unfathomably courageous things for their family, for their country in Syria many of whom are not Islamists. They're secularists who share our values. Some of whom are Islamists, have done brave and courageous and humanitarian things. But we just don't share their values on how government should run, on the role of Islam and government, on the role of Sharia and theocracy. They're Salafi jihadis. They believe the military of a state should be doing a jihad, all things that are an anathema to 21st century modernity. So, I think the Trump administration was right now. As much as I'm much more hawkish on what we should do in Syria, I'm much more driven by a belief that we should support revolutions. I support the Trump administration in saying, you know what? Yeah, there were some representatives that wanted to meet with us from the Free Syria Army, a 20,000-strong block of Arab fighters based in Syria's northwest. They wanted to take their case to Congress, the State Department, to the White House. But... They decided, you know what, we're not going to meet with you guys. Why? I don't know. I hope one of the reasons was because they were brought to them by the Syrian American Council and a group that has never voiced antipathy for the Muslim Brotherhood, that has never voiced antipathy for Hamas, for the Islamist movements and the Islamist ideology, is not going to be one I trust in bringing to us individuals from Syria that are going to be insurance policies against the Muslim Brotherhood and others taking the place of the tyrannical Assad regime. And yes, it's up to the Syrian people to do that, but we certainly should not be funding and giving shade and giving light and space in the White House for time for those who we aren't sure are anti-Islamists as well as being anti-Assad and anti-Baathists. So, the Syrian delegation could not go to the White House this week, and Fox News and Reuters and others reported about this, and as much as I hope it had to do with the fact that the fruit of a poison tree, the poison tree being the Islamist. And yes, the, the, the Islamist problem in America is far, far less of a humanitarian issue than the Assad regime's militant genocidal approach to the people of Syria as they just used chlorine gas three days ago. But that does not mean just because the enemy of the enemy does not make them our friend. 
So no, the enemy of our enemy is not our friend. Just because they are the enemy of our enemy. If they're Islamists, they are our enemy. If they're communists, they are our enemy. So, and again, this all came out a week in which Tillerson, Tillerson and uh, the State Department said that they will not leave Syria. They will not leave Syria. Because if they do, ISIS will probably regenerate. They have one foot in the grave and likely two, as Tillerson told Hoover Institute this week. And it seems that now they're trying to thread the needle between, as Matthew Brodsky reported on the Weekly Standard, thread the needle between a completely subservient Obama administration to Europe and Iran and a far more hawkish nation-building policy of the Bush administration in Iraq. I don't think the two can be compared as Obama pulled out of Iraq during a major transformation in 2011 in the Middle East, and I think a post-2011 Middle East calls for a complete change in foreign policy from what President Bush was seeing in a dictatorship dominated Middle East with no hope of actual indigenous revolution reform, and now that's changed. But having said that, I hope that transition includes a voice for the people, a, a discerning policy that we start to quietly, covertly help them build institutions and empower and protect those who share our values and also work with Muslim reformers in the United States. We can help build networks with those like Kamal Labwani, a Syrian reformer who is not an Islamist, who is well-known initially in the Syrian revolution and now has escaped into Europe. But at the end of the day, there are many, many more like him. Not enough. They are a minority, but they're a minority thanks to the Assad regime and thanks to ISIS and all the peri-Islamist groups. So I wanted to talk just about that as I think it's important that while many say, oh, all the Syrian reform, all the Syrian revolutionaries are a problem, we just need to get the hell out of there and, and ignore it. That's not the right policy. Because when America does not take sides, the enemies of America include not only Islamists, but Russia and China, Iran and others that will make sure that nobody has our interest that comes to influence there. So, Next week, let's catch up on Iran. What's happening in Iran? Why is it falling off the radar? Why is the Trump administration using the same energy that we were so happy to see them, see the president tweeting about, the, the, the secretary of state talking about, and Nikki Haley talking about, that we'll support the aspirations of the Iranian people? Why aren't we still talking about that? I talked to you about the, the, the help from many in Los Angeles and New York and elsewhere corporate America that was coming to the the aid, covert aid of the communications operations of the revolution in Iran. What's happened to them? We'll talk about that next week. Stay tuned with me next week. Thanks for being with me. Join me online at Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I Jasser. 
Join me online at AIFdemocracy.org and my new website that will be launching soon, TakeBackIslam.com. TakeBackIslam.com. This is your faithful American patriot, reformer, Sudi Jasser, on Reform This. God bless. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.